bottom of the Smash Mountain. Season 2, Episode 33, Misunderstood Enthusiasts Live On. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Jesse. You can also call me Cypher. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode here. I want to, first of all, thank Patty for of Austin Melee, by the way. Patty's great at shouting people out and not just me but shouting people out in general which led to the interview that we have today with kish prime who if you don't know who kish prime is if you don't know ship of fools this is going to be a great segue into that but you should also check out austin melee's 10 crews that changed melee look that up on youtube austin melee 10 crews that changed melee you know what it'll be in the description of this podcast episode as well as mega man arena and Kish Prime's Twitter, all of the links, all the socials. But now let's get to this interview with Kish Prime. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Here we are, bottom of the Smash Mountain, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Kish Prime. People in the real world know him as Tim Kish, but here in Melee it is Kish Prime, as well as in the Mega Man Arena world too. Prime, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Cypher. I'm super excited to be here. I'm really excited to hear about your story as it pertains to Melee, but I'm also excited to hear a little bit about Mega Man Arena. So since that's something that you're doing currently, we can start with that just to warm up, and then we'll get into Melee here in a minute. So can you talk to me a little bit about this Mega Man Arena project that you've been working on? Yeah, so this is a game that my brother started about three years ago, uh, almost probably pushing three and a half. Uh, he had always, this is kind of a game we'd always talked about making a long time ago, to take the old NES Mega Man games we grew up with and turn them into fighting games where you control the bosses and, and such. And so he built this on a kind of a Smash Brothers framework of play. It is one to four players, teams, a lot of things you'd expect from Smash Brothers to have. And uh, it's a competitive platform fighter. Though I recently talked about it being more of a, uh, if you want to call it something more of a bullet fighter in some ways, uh, a little different mechanics when you talk about Mega Man in that, you know, you're, you're always tossing bullets out across the screen. Um, and in Smash, the projectiles are more of an accessory to the gameplay. In Mega Man Arena, the projectiles largely are the gameplay, and it's about filling space and making trades and, and winning wars of attrition in ways that Smash Brothers doesn't always work quite the same way. So it's, it's a little different uh, style of game, but a lot of the same types of mechanics in play, and we have a nice little Discord tournament community of around... Uh, well, we, we have over a 1,000 people in the Discord, and we have tournaments regularly of over 20 people. Um, so it's 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 a fun little community. Uh, we have 29 characters. All are very unique, all very distinct. Like I said, it's been going for about three years of dev now. We have a full team of devs and artists and musicians, and there's as much original content in there now as there is original assets. So it's, it's something that I'm proud of my contributions there, and Kish Squared certainly uh, has done a great job of designing and managing that project throughout. I joined about a year into it and uh, have done a lot of character design, AI, engine type of work since then. That's very cool to hear about how you sort of, even even unto this day, there, it, not that you can't help yourself when it comes to like organizing a community or anything like that, but it just seems to be something that's a natural extension of yourself, or would you call it something else? No, it's true. That, that is definitely something I enjoy about that. I've always been 
more of a community-minded person. Uh, in this case, it's interesting. This community formed uh, really almost independent of Jeff and I initially. Uh, we didn't put in like the hard work of really kind of growing the community. It just kind of built out organically. He was fortunate enough to get coverage. And as you know, when you run a fan game, you have kind of a built-in uh, audience you're working towards that you can get in contact with. And he was fortunate to get covered by a few key sites, um, Destructoid, um, uh, Proto Dude runs a website that's a big Mega Man site. You know, he got some some initial coverage on the initial push, and ever since then, it's been a consistent stream of new players and downloads. And I mean, it's it's somewhere between 20 and 50 downloads a day. So it's not like it's even really like small at this point. I mean, that's there's some free to play games that would love those kinds of numbers. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, it's it's something where we got the the traction early. Uh, we're fortunate enough to get that, and then from there, it's just treating people like they're uh, every every person that joins the community is important. And I think that is something that certainly we've continued to do as the community there has grown. There are no um, irrelevant people. There are no people that are that mean less than other people, and that's something that we pushed very hard, even. You know, talking about our melee tournament design, that was always central and front and center of my focus on the design of the old melee FC tournaments and why we were some of the first people to push really hard for full round robins. Um, FC one, we ran 13 person round robins for the first round of the tournament because we wanted this. People were traveling in so far. We want people to have as many matches as they could possibly get. Um, if they were eliminated after that round, actually, I don't think we did eliminate anybody in the first FC because it was only about 90 to 100 people. So we were able to do a full bracket after that. But um, from then on, though, we still want to make sure everybody got at least six or seven good tournament matches. Uh, if they're going to travel in that far, they deserve that much. That's really cool to hear how it just continues in its own way. And even unto this day, that that principle, the, 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 the idea behind creating a community where everybody gets to have their space to be themselves and to shine, that's really, really cool. And to bring it to Melee, one of the things that you were talking about was sort of the difference between a Mega Man-type game and a Melee-type game, where you could call both of them platform fighters in some sense, but there are some key differences. And so the one thing that I thought of while you were talking was you, play, you played in melee played as jigglypuff for at least for a long time so is falco just tantalizingly close to mega man but not close enough and that made you go oh i'll just play as another character or when you first started playing melee did you say to yourself oh falco's like this close to being a mega man in this game <laughs> not not so much actually i did main. so when i first started i kind of try mained I, I did main jigglypuff but i played a lot of falco and marth early on in counterpick situations um, that slowly went away. Um, ironically, right after I decided that Jigglypuff wasn't that great, and I just kind of like, whatever, I just kind of kept playing Jigglypuff and I stuck with it. But like, I'm not even that big of a Mega Man fan. We played Mega Man games growing up, but like, that wasn't our, that, that was not, it's it's a definitive franchise in the evolution of my, you know, life as a gamer, but it is not one that I go back to and say, like, that's one of my favorite games of all time. It's just was part of the, the sequence back when we were young and these games were coming out when we were 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. Mega Man 1, Mega Man 2, Mega Man 3, that's kind of one of those things that all dedicated gamers our age kind of went through and have that experience in our childhoods. Um, my, I'm not sure why I ended up with Jigglypuff, to be honest. I think it was one of those things where when you have your group of friends, and this was always the norm back in the day, and even today I think it's probably normal. When you have a group of friends, nobody wants to pick the same character, right? And so 
you want to have like everybody has their own main like dittos are never like most people don't like dittos because it's just kind of like you're both trying to leverage the same tools there's no comparative differentials you're trying to work out in your head of how to work around the other player it's just like who can do the moves better and that's not just fun when you're playing with friends of just who can do the moves better until you really get like dedicated competitive um, so a lot of characters were taken up. We had a group of five people on the Ship of Fools, myself, my two brothers, uh, Joshua and Ignatius, who were themselves brothers. And, you know, my brother, I, I was kind of the holdout for a while. I was the guy who said, you know, guys, we played a lot of Melee. Let's let's go on to a different game. Like, <laughs> do you guys, do you want to do anything else? And we did this all the time. I mean, 64 as well. A lot of people forget how short 64 was to Melee. It was only, it was less than two years, I think. But we played a lot of 64, um, a lot of Melee, and you know, obviously we loved it, but I was the guy who was always like, oh, you know, let's switch to the other game, let's switch to the other. and they were happy just to kind of play all night. <laughs> so they settled on their characters early, and they kind of picked them all out, and, and they even went to the first tournament without me um, before I'd really settled on a character. And so I kind of, in the end, I kind of just settled, I played some Sheik, I played a couple other characters, and... I just kind of said logically puff is what I liked, but I think it really solidified for me after my first tournament. Uh, my first major Smash Bros. tournament was Nexus 2, uh, which was all the way back in 2003. Actually, that's when a lot of my tournament hosting started. It was right after Melee had come out, but like it was in that following summer. And there were about there were 48 people entered in that event, and uh, I went there and played Jigglypuff and. All my brothers went there, and we all—I think we all got like top ten placings, pretty much, of the five of us. But I—I uh, I actually got the highest of our group. I got up to fifth place with Julie Puff, and I teamed with AOB because he needed a partner. Uh, if you know AOB at all, AOB—you—you you might know AOB more than the average person. Um, but AOB, being the original kind of OG online Jigglypuff that people knew, because he was one of the first people actually publishing videos back in the day. Uh, I got hooked up with him, and we did a double puff team, and we got third place out of the whole group. So it was it was just a blast. It was a lot of fun, and and we got along great. Aob and I are still are friends. We still every now and again chat, uh, and he's 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 a great guy. I, I, I miss he's one of the many people that I miss from the community that I don't see as much as I would like to, and uh, so that was kind of I guess that that is really where I kind of settled into that. But I used Falco and Martha a lot early too, and as and I played all three against him in three rounds, and I got him down. Three stock to one in game three with my uh, Falco, and he just turned it on. That's what top players do, and brought it back. So, I'm sure that having such a positive experience at Nexus Two, you think to yourself, "Okay, I, I get it now. Okay, I want to do more of these." And even at that first tournament, you were thinking to yourself, "I want to do one of these. I want to run one of these myself." Absolutely, that was the first thing on the way home. We're like, "We're going to run another one next month. We're going to everybody back out, and we're going to have a we're going to have a great time." And even then, the seeds were in my head of, we have this church, we know we have access to it. This would be a great place to host a giant tournament. Uh, but you know, you gotta you gotta start small. And we thought we'd see what, who would all come out. Uh, we were just blown away. It's Nexus too. Um, people drove there from California. They came from the West Coast in Canada via bus. The Punch Crew, a couple of the Punch Crew reps came out. Are you familiar with Punch Crew? Yes, they were uh, one of the documentary crews, like one of the early documentary crews, along with um, Bach with Team Ben, right? Yeah, they preceded everybody, actually. They were the first really doing that kind of work, and they were just filming themselves playing 
um, with a camera put on the screen, screaming, having a good time. That's why they got popular was because they were just goofballs on camera. Uh, but they they actually started traveling early too. They were one of the early groups that started were willing to travel. And California packed a car full of five people and drove across the country with Reciferous and Isaiah. Uh, and they came out to Chicago, and we were just like, these guys came from California to play Smash Brothers. Like, really? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> this is, It was kind of blew our minds. But yeah, that's where I said, like, we have every opportunity here to, like, host something really special. And the first thing we did was just run a Midwest Regional the next month. Uh, I think it was right there in July. We joked that it's FC0. And that's where we ran the first crew battle, too. Wow. Within a in, within a month or so, running the first melee FC and people are showing up from around the United States. Like, what do you post on the Smashboards that makes everybody go, "Oh yes, okay, this new event being hosted by hosted by the Kish Brothers and all all of Ship of Fools. We got to get out to that event." Well, to be clear, that that 2003 was I, I just said FC zero. That was about 25 people, and in fact, I think about 10 of them were locals, including ourselves. Um, we got. That, that was 2003. 2004 was when we hosted FC1 and first got people in from around the country. So that was, so at, at the time in 2003, the TG series, it was gearing up for TG5 after Snexus 2. That was shortly coming. And that's when, uh, of course, Ken had won TG4 in Chicago. A lot of the California people were talking about, oh yeah, whatever, he won, but we're going to get him back next time. <laughs> of course, they never did. But, um, he uh, TG5 was upcoming in California. That was largely seen as if you were going to travel across the country go to a tournament, the TG series is what you do it for. And so that was great. And in fact, Joshua flew out for that one. Um, again, I thought he was crazy for doing it at the time, but he and Eddie <laughs> flew out from the Midwest. They both got top 10 placings. And Joshua got documented as some Luigi in the placings at the afterwards. He was he was quite <laughs> furious. Um, but um, nevertheless, they, they flew out for that one. That was a good time. But then the next summer, um, DZ kind of talked about not doing it again. I think he did end up going ahead and hosting TG6 later that summer. But initially, there was a lot of uncertainty over whether he was going to continue. And so we just kind of came out and said, look, we got an idea here. Um, one of the reasons why we became an attractive site was not just our centrality, but we developed a rule set at the time that was pretty compromising between the West Coast and the East Coast, which still had pretty starkly different philosophies. And we kind of blended some neutral stage elements with... Um, we actually, West Coast still played items at the time, so we actually had items on, Midwest did too, a lot. Um, so we had items on during round robin, but not during the bracket. Uh, there were a lot of things we did to kind of create a compromise rule set around that to, to make it attractive to people coming from different directions. Now, that said, even at the time, like FC1, we didn't have a lot of California representation. It was pretty much just Ken and Isaiah, maybe one or two other people. I'm trying to remember who else came in for that, but it was mostly East Coast. Uh, in Midwest, and a couple people from the South, maybe. FC3 is really when it went national, and that was, of course, that there's a there's a lot of stories behind FC3 and how that came together. Yes, it was documented, maybe not in, in fullness to your mind, in the documentary that was made by Samox, the Smash Brothers documentary. You know what I'm talking about, but... Of course. That is a, is a great lead into how we can talk about sort of the lead-up from... FC one and two into FC three, where it's sort of ramping up each time more and more people are showing up where 
I'm sure that at first, you know, it being a little bit smaller, the first one in 2003, if you want to call FC Zero, like you were saying, where maybe perhaps it's sort of easy to crowd control from there. But like, did you feel like your tournament operating skills just kind of increased each time? It was getting easier and easier to have conversations of, hey, we need you to get up to this setup so that we can continue running this tournament, those sort of conversations. And you didn't have to worry about streaming or anything at the time, which I'm sure would be uh, an interesting thing to think about nowadays. But doing all of those, all of the things that tournament organizers have to do, did you feel like with each time it got bigger and bigger that you were ready for it? Or did it always feel like, oh my goodness, are we going to be able to handle it this time? No, so that's an interesting question. It was funny you talk about streaming. Like FC Legacy was when Gimmer got on the front page Twitch for the first time. He was all super pumped. That was in 2012. So it was long after, of course, the the season we're talking about here, uh, where Bach was recording footage and actually got a couple matches onto the internet by the end of the tournament everybody was so amazed you know like <laughs> that was that was the day it was a pre-youtube days i mean we still used google video for a lot of early smash things before youtube was even you know the main platform for a lot of that um so as far as scaling the career goes so to speak as a to you know we went from fc0 so to speak midwest challenge is what it was called in in summer for like 25 people but then there was the Flame of Bowser tournaments. We had Flame of Bowser 1, Flame of Bowser 2. We had a couple of... Um, I, I ended up running a lot of tournaments I went to just because I was willing. And, and I had a built-in advantage there that's harder to come by now, which is that I was basically the oldest person in the community other than Eddie. Um, so I had kind of a built-in authority just from that perspective or responsibility, if you will, of, you know, I, I was just coming at it from a little different maturity level from other people no no i mean no offense meant of course it's just you know i i i had grown up i had done some things i had some ability to run some of these types of events and so i did and um there's definitely there was a growing phase there i think flame buzzer 2 we got up near like 35 to 40 and then fc1 was around 98 or 80 something 80 88 something like that um going from that then fc3 and you you say fc2 fc2 we announced an hour beforehand while jeff and i were sitting around planning fc3 and we just played it ourselves on an in-game tournament with like his wife <laughs> <laughs> that was us we called the fc2 <laughs> but we announced it it's legitimate he won fc2 <laughs> Let's i regret go. that to this day i had I a chance swear. to win an fc title um fc3 then was the next summer and um that was where it really blew up and that was largely because of um, again i kind of forged the relationships of bringing people together in the middle of the country and all of that and there was a whole lot of east coast west coast rivalry at the time and just kind of tapped into that both wes and ken and chillin were screaming at each other on the forums every day about how much better the east coast or the west coast was than each other and uh sure enough fc3 um for a long, long time, there was no other tournament like it because we had 48. So, so at the time, I was working with M3D, who was running the MLG tournaments at the time, at a GameStop. He had moved to Elkhart. He actually invited me to work with there with him, and so I was working there with him. And we were going through and like doing our own little, you know, rankings and projections and things like that. And we're like, yeah, there's basically like two people missing here from the top 50 in the country. Like SkyPal came out from Washington. They never traveled. Like even even in the future, I don't think they barely ever got out of Washington. They went down for the TGs, I think, and that's about it. 
but there were tons of really good players up there. There was um, a couple, bunch of crews from California. Hugs's crew uh, flew across the country for it. They, was, they were a big part of the West Coast team. You had uh, the East Coast was pretty much all entirely represented. The only, the only people that were missing was Neo, who was largely considered to be a top player on the East Coast, and uh, Zulu, who was a Crystal City smasher with Rob and Caveman, but he, he rarely ever traveled either. I did meet him one time finally at MLG Chicago 06, and I think we played in tournament, and, and I did lose, unfortunately. But that was a. <laughs> but there weren't a lot of puff dittos to be had back in the day. I like them now. So uh, you're making me think about how Husband has recently been streaming again and is even taking up yeah. coaching lessons with Zane. Zane is coaching Husband, to be clear. Yeah, um, I watched some of it. Yeah, it's been really cool to see that. Um, but something that he was saying while watching through the documentary was something to the effect of Neo would just commit to going to an event or say that he was going to an event and then just straight up not go. Like morning of, come on, Neo, it's time to go up to New York City for an event. Nope, I'm not going. So I, I don't think huh. you need to feel bad that you missed out on Neo for FC3. It was such a crazy event worthy of documentation, getting into the documentary itself. And then I'm sure other people have asked you about this enough times of over being like, what was the crew battle like? And it wasn't just East Coast versus West Coast, as Chillin was saying in the documentary. I think it was also like other regions of the United States as well. And then it was... Yeah, Midwest and Southfield, the teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's often forgotten. And, and this is something where even in some of the rankings, I, there was a, a historian that did some rankings and things like that. And people really undersell the Midwest at the time. I mean, like, I know <laughs> as time went forward, the Midwest fell way off the pace, but I mean, there's no no way, for example, like Kish Squared would should ever have been left off a top 25 of like 2004 or 2005. I mean, he was one of Midwest regionals, you know, top 25 at majors, things like that. Like, the, this is where like the Midwest was always sporting pretty much equal representation in top 25s. We just never had the top, uh, the tippy top players. You know, we we always had a, a top five player, whether it was Dreffen or. Vigio or some of those people, um, but we only lost to the West Coast by like two stock in the in the regional battle. Um, East Coast was the one that really kind of dominated that. The South uh, didn't have a really great team, in, and frankly, the South wasn't that great at the time in 2005 when FC3 happened. They started to pick up really strong in uh, 06 when Forward and Taj and some of those other people started playing and they really took off fast when they did and Florida finally put things together because Florida was known for being just horrible trash talkers <laughs> that were also abysmally terrible at the game um, <laughs> and uh, you've, you, have you seen the Bach video where husband throws Florida into the ocean uh, I think I saw the highlight off the documentary, but yeah, I thought it was so funny how just once upon a time, Florida did not have any great players to, to talk about. Uh, they would just nope. not do well at other events. Nope, nope. They had Cloud Strife X, and he was one of the bigger talkers, and there were a lot of other talkers, but all of them were terrible. So it <laughs> took a long time to land from Florida placed anywhere near a top 25. And to your, to your point, I, I think Husband was talking about this as well, where he said, and he had a lot of East Coast buys. I mean, that still comes through even even today, even <laughs> even now in 2021, just about how awesome the East Coast was. And he was like, I guess the, he said something like, I guess the Midwest was pretty good. We were just better or something like that. I think, you know, the pride is still. Oh, there's no question. I mean, like they, they won the crew battle over everybody. They were they were better than everybody, um, top to bottom, even over the West Coast. And that was that was pretty clear. Um, it was a good battle. Um, the East Coast, West Coast battle was good. The Midwest-West Coast battle was good. All the rest of them were kind of 
Eh, but they lived up to the hype and everyone. I mean, they, they, both those battles were just super hype and and tons of fun and uh, really a good time for everybody. And, and it was kind of proven. And then it was kind of sad. Like, the they were still, like, events. And we definitely still got a lot of mileage out of running those, you know, going forward the next couple of years. But that was kind of the, the climax of two years of build-up, you know, Marvel-esque, you know, <laughs> like the end game of, of so many rivalries uh, in that moment there. But uh, yeah, that's something where, like I said, the Midwest, historically speaking, gets judged by its contemporaries a lot in terms of it's, people don't realize the Midwest actually used to be pretty good. Indiana, I mean, our crew won like third place at the crew battles in FC6. We had the crew, we actually had a crew battle tournament at FC6. Like Indiana was like a top six state back then, you know, and like these are real things that, that happen that people have a hard time wrapping their hands around now. So, of course, that, I mean, that this is part of the reason why we have you on, because you can speak to this much better than anybody else, because this is your region we're talking about, a region that you were very much involved with for a long time. And you backed it up with good play as well, placing well in other tournaments, especially majors, even the MLG stuff. So I wanted to hear your perspective of when ship of fools was and this is the, this is your crew that you were talking about a little bit earlier if you want to spend a little bit more time about how the crew came to be together and just highlights off of that that you want to share stories about the crew came together in spanish class in high school when joshu turned around at his seat and just dead point blank asked kish squared my brother jeff if he played pokemon <laughs> <laughs> completely out of the blue and to your jeff tell it he just kind of stared back at him for a second a dead air you know dead moment of silence and just said yes <laughs> <laughs> and from there a friendship was born and um you know we played smash 64 up to that point we had other friends who were already playing smash with pretty much every night at that point but um there became a rivalry there where joshua and jeff got involved in trying to top each other and everything from Pokemon to Smash and everything else. And it eventually turned into kind of full group hangout nights. Uh, I was the oldest. Ignatius was the youngest. He was Joshua's younger brother. And uh, Kish Squared was in the middle of the two of them. Uh, Jeff was a little older than Joshua. So we had a nice little like range of ages, and we all just got along and hung out and played together. And then once tournaments started, it was you know the bonding of, of traveling to events for a long time. And so... You know, initially we were going all over the country and we did a few things um, early on, like after Flamma Bowser, a guy from Alabama came up, uh, C-A-H Phoenix, we all called him Ka Phoenix. I'm not sure. I think it was supposed to be his initials, but he went by Ka Phoenix and uh, we went down to Alabama as a kind of thank you. We decided to drive down. So Joshua and I and Kish Square drove down and that, that was the Alabama Mel tournament with Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah went to the event. We decided to go down and get some one-on-one -on -one time with Isaiah. Basically, nobody else was there. It was us, Ka Phoenix, uh, Isaiah, and Dark Rain in his first ever traveled event, who went there because Isaiah was there, and he wanted to learn from Isaiah. That was an awesome event for a lot of reasons, but obviously it was like, like first of all, we got locked out of Coffee Phoenix's house. We were all locked. <laughs> that, that was a whole other part of this is house tournaments back in the day. And like, he's climbing in the window and <laughs> all this good stuff. <laughs> but, um, I just remember waking up at like 7am. I, I am pretty sure Isaiah and dark rain didn't go to bed all night. I mean, they just, they just grinded Falcon did us for hours. Um, and it was it was amazing coming out of that. He wasn't. I, I think we 
Joshu lost to Dark Rain, and that was actually one of his first moments where he's like, "Oh no, I'm not like the best, one of the best players in the Midwest anymore." He was like really upset. But um, Jeff and I still did fine. I uh, I think I beat Dark Rain. That was probably the only time I ever beat Dark Rain was at that tournament. We still take and, those. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I got two wins over Dark Rain. I'll take that. Two wins, and so what if he got the next four, whatever, or five, whatever <laughs> we played. But um, I gave him some close games here and there. Um, in any case, um, playing as Isaiah in the finals of that tournament, I ended up getting second. But like, it was just amazing how much farther ahead he was than everybody else at the time. And it wasn't just him, obviously. Ken was up there too. But Ken and Isaiah had just a huge lead over some of the other players, as in obviously as well. And um, it just was night and day different in terms of the types of tech they were doing. Um, in the documentary, there's actually a postscript on one of the episodes of me talking about the Falcon Dojo with Isaiah that was at that event where we all just kind of like played Falcon and like he was telling us what to do on the stage and when we did it wrong he'd come over and like knee us <laughs> in, his, <laughs> in his own like Isaiah way you know he had this very unique sense of humor and uh, it was just such a good time also that was the first time that Isaiah got recorded and he was so happy because we were recording videos he wanted to record our Smash 64 videos and so um, one of the most viewed Smash videos on YouTube over the first year or so was Kiss Squared versus Isaiah, wherein Kiss Squared does like the first 60%, and then over, I think, a five or six stock match, hits him like once more the entire rest of the match. Um, yeah, that was, and, and that was one of the most viewed videos on YouTube for a long, long time because Isaiah was well known as like, this is the guy. <laughs> yes, Isaiah's too good. He is too good. He is too good. So that's just kind of a random interlude, a tournament nobody would ever care about in history, but between like all the, there, there was a lot of history there. And in fact, all the Mel stuff got covered heavily in uh, the documentary as well. And that, that was that Alabama tournament that was re- referenced. That's really, really cool. Uh, it's not meaningless because there are people who found meaning in it, maybe not across the entire Smash scene. I mean, I, I think a lot of people talk about the Genesis tournament series, that there's something that they're really fond of there or, or the Summit tournament series or, or what have you but when you track backwards it's something that patty said to me it was like <laughs> kesh prime and other people like that they're they are your favorite tournament organizers favorite tournament organizer right so <laughs> we being can part hope, of I suppose being being part of the of the the, the golden age or, or whatever you would like to call it the pre brawl the pre sequel days when melee was the latest and greatest and got to got to have a little bit of a tournament scene outside of MLG and then have a, a boost from the MLG series and, and everything like that. It did feel like momentum going in a positive direction, but you were sort of talking a little bit there a bit about how it sort of started to wind down a little bit. And of course, as, as time goes on, you get older, other things happen where you're maybe interested in doing this and that and not necessarily traveling across the United States to play Melee anymore. I mean, even in from the beginning, not that you were excited to get out of Melee, but just going like, are we still playing Melee? Yep, we're still playing Melee. So <laughs> what was that experience like for you when it officially started to wind down and FC events were starting to wind down as well? Oh... I don't know. That's a hard. That's a hard thing to pin down because I never really wanted to stop playing melee. That's um, one of those things where life just kind of picked me up and carried me off. Um, you know, I I didn't quit on purpose. Uh, I actually had a whole series of FC tournaments planned that I ended up having to let go for other reasons. Um, 2006 was FC6. 2007 was FC Diamond. FC Diamond was legitimately probably one of the best tournaments I've run. Um, Legacy was probably the second best. Or sorry, Legacy was probably the best. 
Um, weirdly enough, Legacy was the culmination of so many things in so many cool ways in 2012. Uh, but Diamond was smooth. Uh, that, that event was just smooth. Front to back, we had people from all over the country. FC6 was a weird year because there was some conflict with Ken after FC3 where he didn't think his prize money was big enough. Um, and he thought we were keeping money. I don't know how serious he was, how much he just wanted to promote his own event because he wanted to run his own national the next year. But in any case, that was kind of sad because we all had a good relationship with him. Um, Kish Cubed actually probably had the closest relationship with him. And uh, once he passed, I think that, that connection faded a little bit too there. But um, I think Ignatius still maintained the connection with him. So I'm not, I'm not I've never been 100% sure why that happened or why he chose to do that. But nevertheless, that kind of split the community for like another year where there wasn't a lot of cross-country travel. Uh, Ken ran his OC tournament, we ran FC again, and it, 2006 was not a great year for like intersectional play other than MLGs, which there were there was some good traveling for MLGs, but the community, it was probably the weakest year for community events, um, in my opinion, even compared to like 2004, like where at least where there were events. Not a lot of people traveled, but there was still a lot of hype around it when it happened. Um, MLG kind of sucked a lot of the thunder out and like I said, like the split kind of sucked a lot of thunder out of the, the even the, the indie majors. Um, but FCD really brought a lot of things back together. And that was actually sponsored by MLG after they got out of running tournaments themselves. They sponsored a four tournament circuit culminating in uh, FC Diamond. And uh, it's always fun to hear people like Scar even still look back on that tournament fondly and think back on you know, that as being an experience that was good for them because that, that was that was definitely one of the tournaments I was most proud. We capped out, you know, 256 people in that church, went the whole weekend without a hitch. I, I think it was just fantastic. But um, anyway, I'm getting way off topic of your original question. Um, you know, Melee, yeah, Melee never really died for me in a way that I was happy with. Like, I was never like, yeah, I'm done. It just kind of got pushed out. And that's always been a bit of a regret um, in some ways. In other ways, I've had plenty of good things come into its, its place. I haven't lacked for, for good things in my life. I, I'm not going to pretend I'm not incredibly blessed and um, in a fantastic situation now in my career and family and everything else, but uh, it's still something that I, I, I miss and I still go back to a lot. I've never, I've never left. I still consider myself blessed to be even have people like you call me up and say, hey, let's, let's chat. I mean, that still is just incredibly rewarding to know that people still play this game and still care about this game where the foundations were laid so long ago and it's it's mind-blowing frankly to see people still playing this game that we you know we were there at show me your moves one and what are they on now like 21 or whatever i don't know like <laughs> some of these things still go uh we went to big house seven that was the last major i went to and we did pretty well we both made second day me and jeff okay uh, let's go i like yeah no that. i'm not I mean, people people vastly underrate what it was like to be competitive back in the day. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, we went to tournaments back in the day, and we bragged about how little we practiced. Like, there was not a... <laughs> <laughs> there was not a community. And this is like Ken. Ken, Ken. The first thing Ken always say is how little he practiced since like, the last one. Um, that, that was the mentality. And that started to shift, maybe with the MLGs, later in the MLGs. But, like, for a long time, that was foundational to the community, especially even as Brawl Approach took over again. Yeah, we're not playing. We're waiting for the next one. Nobody's, nobody's really practicing. But they're all still coming out and competing. So everybody was still practicing. I didn't really start practicing until 2006. That was when I actually got good. But um, it was it was something where there wasn't really labbing. And, and also people have a hard time 
Uh, I'm, I, I'm way off your original point, so stop me if you want to. Um, but no, you're people, good. Keep going. <laughs> people weren't labbing back then in the same way they do today. Yes, people were labbing. There were your dark rains or your silent wolves or some of these people that would push the tech. But there was no videos to model yourself after. There was no, or there was much more limited videos to model yourself after. You couldn't go live watch it. Very few events would even like post uh, much in the way of matches afterwards. You just read the results on Smashboards and be like, oh, Marth must be a pretty good character. He keeps winning events. <laughs> and, you know, like we, it's not that we weren't developing what we did. What we did was we played. We played a lot. We played a lot, and and so we developed like really, really, really good neutral and things like that that you know still carries forward even to today. If you get online, hop online, play a few rounds, or that that never goes away. The the mind aspect, the mental aspect, the the control of it, and so it's it's not it's something where I I'd, I'd be disappointed if I went to a tournament and I couldn't at least get in the top you know 40, 30 percent. I mean, even even as a one off, um, just because of how much experience I have there, but. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it, it's really it, it was a fun ride. It still is a fun ride. I still like watching melee. I've still every year it's on. I'm just amazed. I like tuning into events randomly. I don't do it consistently, but when I see somebody tweeting about something, I'll hop on and I'll watch a few rounds. I still pop into chats every now and again and say hi. And every now and again, somebody recognizes me, and that's fun. But not always, and that's okay. Um, it's just you know, it's just fun to see it still going and. It was a community that I loved and I still love and I'm still, I, I hurt when the community hurts, when all the pain starts coming through and some of the things we've seen recently, that's, that hurts too. That, that broke me for a, a couple of days after some of those revelations dropped about six months ago now or however long ago it was, um, to see people in the community hurting so badly and treated so badly. And uh, man, it's, it's just, it, it's something where I always felt like it was my responsibility in the leadership role that I had, such as it was back in the day to, again, that idea that everybody matters, everybody deserves a good experience, uh, protecting the weak, um, taking care of the people who couldn't take care of themselves when they're at events. You know, we had security on events long before anybody else was paying for security um, to try and give that presence there. Um, and we all had everybody stay in, that, in the venue, so that was a little different too, but you just have to think that way when you're an event organizer and everybody nowadays knows that heck it's if anything there's a lot more you have to watch out for than there used to be but yeah so i'm still emotionally invested i never i never left emotionally but you know my actual time unfortunately has become more limited yes and to your point there's there's people who are are like you who were involved with melee such a long time ago and of course everybody has a different relationship with melee right it's all sort of similar a lot of common themes but there's people like husband who seemingly disappeared although i don't think that's necessarily true but that is now streaming melee in 2021 same thing with yep. da west streaming melee in 21 yep. 2021 might actually be streaming right now as we're talking if i recall correctly <laughs> training tuesdays i think so really cool to see and then for for your part it's 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 so interesting to me to hear about how the the emotional part of it doesn't go away or the and it's it, that especially, um, but also the competitiveness as well, where you're like, if I'm going to enter an event, I, I, I have high expectations for myself. I want to take some matches and take some names and place place pretty well. And that's, Those are that's high really expectations. Cool 30%, 40%, those are high expectations. Those are, those are like a baseline. <laughs> high expectations, I'll, I, have to, I have to put in some work. 
But uh, yeah, you always you always want to believe you can get back into it. Easy to get old and the fingers slow down and you have the muscle cramps and the aches and everything else that goes into it. But yeah, those are my guys. I mean, like I hung out at so many events with husband and Wes and so many good memories. <laughs> I still remember sitting down with Wes at a setup once and just we just played as a team for a while. Which like he was just like yeah, but yeah, he's just getting into it and he, I was resting people and he was having a good time with it. We were just having a ball for like half an hour out of the blue and like those things just happened and and they were special moments and you remember those for forever you know those those just kind of like one-off connections you make with people and um, they come out of the constant kind of being there in the presence Dreffen I still consider really you know he's he's a great guy he we didn't come back to help out with some of our events we always had a co-host crew not always I shouldn't say that but like later we started having co-host crews so we had Dreffen's crew co-host with us we had a uh, husband and wife co-hosts uh, was it diamond they did with us i think they i don't remember which one six or diamond we one of them was Dreffen's crew and one of them was husband and wife's crew and you know we just we just tried to forge relationships in that way and get people involved you know it was always about trying to elevate other people to go out and do the things we were doing for their regions you know whether it was I mean, I was like literally looking up names at one point saying, hey, you should start a regional circuit, like Prince Zane down south. Like he was one of the big ones where he ran the Insomnia series. I'm like, dude, like start up a regional circuit for the south. It's like a good thing. I'll back you up. And he got something going and it was really effective and uh, really cool. And and trying to find those that next generation of leaders that's going to be able to still carry the water for you when you leave. I think that's always a responsibility of a current leader to do. And I've been happy to see the people that came out of that and continue to go forward from the younger generation and i still always enjoy seeing the older generation post and talk and and i miss ever i mean i i won't lie i i wouldn't mind doing a reunion someday and just getting all together and meeting everybody's kids and just hanging out and shooting the breeze for a while and maybe even playing some melee playing some melee oh i'd love to hear that uh just a quick overview of my own relationship with melee i knew about it since 2006 when i was 11 years old, so I'm 25 years old now. I'll be 26 nice. later this year. And I knew about competitive Melee because of YouTube videos because YouTube was just becoming a thing in 2005, 2006. And I would see, like, Ken versus Ken versus PC Chris, for example, like the MLG 2006 New York finals and that kind of thing. And I would go, oh, that's really cool. But, like, I was, like, more of the shy, introverted person. I was also, like, oh, kind of wishy-washy about, like, doing, like, events. And I wasn't sure exactly. I looked up Smashboards and I was, like, oh, you have to create a username? I don't have an email <laughs> address. Like, I gave myself all those excuses to not actually commit to doing anything, which is a regret because up to this day I still have yet to go to an in-person tournament, something that I'm looking forward to doing after the 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 uh, the the pandemic uh, subsides yeah. enough with vaccinations and stuff to safely yeah. go to an in-person event that that's going to be really exciting and will hopefully happen later this summer we'll see but as i have been aware of melee's competitive existence to some level even back in 2006 up to this day i always got that sense of like the people that are in melee seem to really care about what's happening care about the people in the that are involved in the scene and yeah you're not going to necessarily lift up a, a, a random random person to the level of like mango or whatever there's always going to be a little bit of like the oh yeah the top players are the are obviously the top dogs in a community like melee there's going to be a little bit of that as well but hearing you talk about how yes that's cool okay cool ken is ken is really good at this game Azin is really good at this game what about the person that's trying to enter these events when they can who don't always have the time maybe you're not here every time and they always go 0 and 2 
can we maybe give some some attention over in that direction make them feel welcome make them feel like they want to come back and that they like hey we're really happy that you're here too and hearing you talk a little bit about that is really really cool to hear i really appreciate it yeah i think that's always important for community building and you know sometimes communities hit a a certain momentum a certain stride where that maybe is less important but i think that never goes away if you want the community to keep growing um, you can never neglect those people because otherwise you'll never have the next mango. You'll never have that next generation of people. And we have a community. A lot of people trash the Smash community, and obviously there's plenty of trash if you want to look for it. Um, there's no question. But the thing that you know Smashboard's created, and that I think I think has been inherited. I can't speak to this. I haven't been as involved with the community for the last ten years, so the you know just peripherally. But I think there's a tradition of. You know, I, I think I feel like there's a tradition of valuing the members of, of these Discord communities, even going into the Slippy Discord and hanging out there and seeing people talk. And even one random guy is like, hey, I can show you some stuff after the match if you want. I'm like, sure, cool. I'll take free advice. Why not? I mean, like, hey, why not? And so he like hopped on the call and we like talked through a couple, through a couple things. And, you know, uh, there's the thing about Melee is that there's just it's so easy to do cool stuff and to keep like impressing yourself <laughs> and like you want everybody to feel that way you want everybody to like feel like i just did something cool you know like that's part of the fun of it is when it's not it's not always fun when you're the only one doing cool stuff you know um there's so much opportunity to do cool stuff in melee you know the jazz thing i you know the, the prog says you know melee is like jazz i always said that too it's funny he said that but like that's <laughs> that's kind of how i always thought about, i always talked about it too um and i briefly like mentally explore the idea of actually building a fighting game around jazz at one point i thought it'd be really cool based on like <laughs> melee mechanics but um you know that's there's there's a a community communal experience around melee that is just so weird and unique and different and from the other games that i've played and it's not that other games don't have that sense but i don't know i i guess i don't know where i'm going with that but what i guess i'm i i tend to ramble if you can't tell the the <laughs> What you said about the new member, finding ways to make the new player experience important, it's not treating them like Mango. It's treating them like the player that they are and making sure that their experience that they have, which will be different from Mango's experience, is still good for them. And that is something where there's so much opportunity for that to be good. FC1, we fed everybody. We kept them all in the, in the, in the building and we said, hey, we're going to make sure you can play as much melee as you want. Like... <laughs> That was it, because we knew that was what people really wanted if they were going to drive in, like not be like just sitting around, not be able to do anything, having to leave, you know, just spend time hanging out and having a good time. And this is, I think, more where locals are at today. Um, this isn't really the same approach you can take to nationals. Though I still think, I still think nationals could give more matches. I think there's ways to do that. I shouldn't say that. That's that's inappropriate of me to say because I'm not the one planning these things. And these guys are very good. I think Joko guy, probably the best tournament organizer of all time. I'm very biased, but uh, you know, like <laughs> these guys do fantastic work. But at the same time, I like, I can't help but look at that and be like, man, I just I hate sending somebody home on two matches. You know, for driving out, for flying out. And not finding a way to get them something more. Like we did tons of side events too, you know, second opportunity brackets or like low tier tournaments or crew battles or we found tons of ways to give people as many kind of good experiences as they could to take home with them because that was that made their event. If they went 0 and two and went out, that defines their event. So how do you get them to think about something else on their way home besides that? 
you know, that's that's the role of, I think, at this point, the local TOs to do when they're building their own communities. And so when we're talking about present day with you and yeah, it like, I'm, I'm sure anyone who has been listening, hearing about you saying, well, I mean, <laughs> the doors are not closed to running an event sometime in the future. Then the doors are not closed. That doesn't mean you're announcing anything. It's just that it's really cool to hear about that. But also now that you uh, have children of your own, I, I have two young kids myself. Uh, one is three and a half and the other's one and a half. So like it's congratulations. Yeah, oh, it's well, great. Thank you. And, and, and it's the best thing. Yes, being a being a dad, being a parent, a big blessing, very very big blessing. And oh, kids are so cute. Well, anyway, especially when they're your own. Anyway, anyway, I wanted to ask you about your perspective on looking at events uh, through the eyes of a parent now, where you were you were probably thinking to some degree about having the responsibility. You said earlier that you were one of the older, not the oldest, you know, it's not about, you know, how old you are or anything, but you were one of the older, more responsible members of the Melee community back in the day. But you've probably had a lot of time to think about this. But like, what do you think about the possibility of one of your own children attending either a tournament or doing any sort of like extracurricular activity where there's just like competition, there's other people involved and and, and that sort of thing? But you can put it through the context of melee if you want to. If they if they've ever played, if your children have ever played melee, for for mine they have not yet. But that'll be <laughs> hopefully hopefully they'll like playing with me for a little bit anyway. But just yeah. I'm interested in hearing what your perspective is when you look at melee or at competition in general as a, through the eyes of a parent through the lens of a parent. What comes to mind for you? Like how do you feel that experience should should go? That's a very difficult question. That could take a couple of different ways. I mean, I, I could look at it specifically with my children and say, you know, how I would want my children to experience or what I think they would want to experience. Um, but there's there's the other lens, which is that of how do I want an operator to run an event as a parent to, so that I could feel like my children were taken care of and be safe and, and things like that. And um, so I'm not sure which, which way to go with that exactly, but I think as a parent, the thing that you always want is for your children to have a blast and also be protected and safe. Um, we've had incidents where kids have not been safe in venues. And I, I still, as a, as an organizer, this is, you know, people, people give organizers sometimes a lot of flack for not protecting people. They can't, we have too much going on. We don't know what's going on in the corner of the room. You know, that's, that's just something that I feel a lot of sympathy for organizers have gotten hit by various accusations of you you should be protecting people at this event i mean there are certain things you can do and you should do those things and then after that it, it just kind of sucks if it happens but um you for me personally you know i think that i would want an event for my children like i said where they could go they could compete again like there's there's certain behavioral standards that i i think are generally well enforced there's a lot more community policing, um, if only via kind of social media pushback than there was maybe back then. Um, even today's obnoxious players don't really approach how obnoxious some people were on Smashboards back in the day. Um, <laughs> because you can't, you know, social media is like a permanent record of all of your wrongs. And, you know, Leffen is probably the, the most trolly of the old generation that is known for that because he still remains one of the most trolly people out there in some cases um, to do that. So, so there is a lot more of that kind of like overt policing. The the underlying stuff 
you know, is, is the more challenging piece. And I don't know what I would tell an organizer as far as what more to do there. That's, that's so tough. It's, it's so difficult now with all the different avenues for things. I mean, you see it time and time again, not just with smashers, every YouTuber, you get young people with power and fame and, you know, a little too much attention and they lose control and it leads to bad things. They make bad decisions for themselves and they hurt other people. And, um, I don't know. I feel like I lost the plot with that. I, I'm not quite sure what to, where to go with that. As far as my own children, which I can talk about a little more securely, is that, um, you know, I, I don't know that my girls will ever play Smash Brothers. You know, I don't regret any of the time I put into it. In some ways, you know, looking back, if I was to choose something else, maybe something with a bit more applicability after you leave it <laughs> would be nice. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem with a video game, right? After you leave the video game, there's usually not anything else you can apply any of those skills to. Um, but at the same time, like, I, I look forward to supporting them whenever they end up liking to do. My older one is much more an artist, much less competitive. I think my younger one, she's too young to know for sure yet, but she is going to be, I think, my competitive one. And it'll be fun. If she is, it'll be fun to get her out and do things like that and, and play those games, and I'll support them at that time because... That's what you do as a parent. You just love everything they do and you dive into everything you can do to help them, you know, realize their goals and their dreams and their fun. I have stopped short of letting my three and a half year old daughter, like she's like, dad, so when we do tea time, when we, when we play together, you should really be wearing a dress. And I go, okay, well, I see why you would say that. And I'm not necessarily against the idea, but can we maybe have me dress up in something else that I... What, I mean, look, I'm hey, not trying there's to... British people having tea time every day in male yes. clothes. There's no reason why you can't, you know, make that work. No, I, yeah, I, I get it. I, I was lured into a game of Pretty Pretty Princess, the board game, the other day, unfortunately. So those <laughs> things happen from time to time. And they're a part of every father's story over, over girls. And, mm. Or they should be a part of every father's story over girls, I should say. I mean, if you're not willing to, to come down and meet them where they're at, it's just going to lead to problems later. But... Um, you know, it's it's something where I would like to see, I guess kind of going back to your original question, finding ways to do actual like involving parents in the event would be an interesting path forward for some of these events, uh, especially for those of us who have, you're, you and I are not the only parents in the community at this point. Um, I suspect there are a lot actually at this point because the average age has got to be like, well, I don't know. The average age feels like it keeps going down because every time I'm playing somebody online, they say they're 19. I'm like, how is every single person for the last 10 years I played 19 years old? <laughs> um, Consistently. <laughs> I mean, I just don't get it. I don't know where they keep coming from. But yeah, they, it's um, it, it, there are still, I think, a lot of people who play in the community and, and finding ways to incorporate parents would be really interesting down the road to find ways to do even like some fun like parent-kid like side events. I love the Smash Sisters stuff that they do. That's fantastic uh, to give the women that kind of support. Um, you know, someday maybe that evolves into a parent-child event. That would be a, a pretty fantastic thing to see. Yeah, that's something that I was thinking of myself because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, well, maybe not, neither of my children get into Melee specifically, but if they get into something where, as a parent, I can be slightly more involved. Now, I'm not asking to be playing on third base in a softball game or a t-ball game, but <laughs> uh, I don't want to be the parent that's yelling at the at the like the umpire either. Oof. Yeah. I'll have to definitely like meditate on that before going to <laughs> a future possible t-ball game, but. I, that's one thing that I was thinking of for myself. I'm thinking, is there is there a way that like I can be slightly more present if instead of just dropping 
one of them or both of them off somewhere and going, okay, well, I'll see you in three hours because no, I, I, I want to at least be able to participate to like some small degree. And I think that with Melee specifically, if it's an event or if it's just something else where, where the parents like, it's just more of a normal thing where they're around and they're hanging out and not necessarily like buddy buddy with their kids, but then let them have a little bit of space, but just that they can be there. And that's like, cool i guess <laughs> as yeah, compared to volunteering being like, like literally the little league analogy is a good one right finding ways to allow parents to volunteer at your event not to have them you know supervising their children but just having them be around having them see and be part of it i always loved having my parents you know talking about their tournaments that we ran and they always would come over and videotape i still got random videos of fc tournaments and pictures that they'd just come over for an hour or two and they'd take their videos and they'd they'd get out and, you know, they just love to see what we were doing and what we were putting together. And those types of opportunities are, are cool and we can find them, but it's it, getting to the esports industry as a whole, mainly is in such a weird place with its age, with its developer support relationship with its, um, there, there's, mainly just op- occupies such a weird niche. It's so hard to build like this or niche. Yeah, this is really hard to build like some of that structure around it. I mean, I was really interested to see what that tour was going to do before the pandemic hit to start unifying some of these events and bringing together some more structure to some of these higher level events and pieces like that. And of course the pandemic hit, but um, I'm always fascinated by the ongoing kind of management of Melee and how it's evolved over the years. And it's been fun to see. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, No, it's fun to see that these, it's the Smash World Tour that you're talking about. Hopefully that will be able to somewhat organize at the towards the end of this year and then next year as things continue to improve that they can kind of go out in full force or we'll see when it happens but the fact that Gimmer VGBC as a whole is still pushing for that even even this year doing a lot of online qualifiers and those sort of things and trying to have safe events towards the end of the year it's really cool to see that they're still pushing for that and to me that's what I was interested in as well when I first heard about it I thought unifying in general seems to be a good idea as long as there's good people behind it and i know that some of the not that i know personally i just i just feel like melee does have enough community leaders and tos who want to see the game go in a good direction and know how to sort of get there but just it's always hard to (laughs) get everybody in the same room or on the same discord call to sort of push in that direction yep yeah, you know, and there's and there's always egos in play too. I mean, that's fine. That's just part of any community. You're always going to have egos and people that are. Yeah, in fact, they often say that like the nonprofits are where the biggest egos tend to go sometimes because, you know, like it's all about ego and nonprofit, right? It's like whoever can run the biggest thing or the biggest show or the, there's there's sometimes that's like you're not doing it for the money, so that's like all that's left. So there's some theory around that being a, a common problem is that the egos clash and things take over but i don't think generally i I shouldn't i have no idea if that's an issue i'm not i'm not saying that it is because i don't know anything i'm not trying to hint at anything secret there but um that's just a reality i've got my event you've got yours and i want to do it my way and they want to do it their way and that's fine we had we were that way back in the day i tried to organize a lot of circuit type events and some people were interested and some people weren't so and as we get in the direction of wrapping up here, I do want to note that Princess Sophia is a fantastic show. I would okay. not have said that before watching it with my daughter, but yep, that's actually pretty underrated TBH. I wanted to give you a little bit of space to uh, talk about uh, your... So 
just to make sure that people know that that Kish Cubed, who 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 did uh, sadly pass away. Um, well, I wanted to say several years ago, but it has been uh, more than a decade from now. But being involved in Ship of Fools, was he the youngest member of the crew? And just to sort of make sure that we talk about him at least for a little bit to, you know, just to note how important he was in that in that time and still to this day. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Kiss Cubed was obviously my brother, Daniel. Um, he was not the youngest in the crew. Ignatius was younger than him, but he was the next youngest. And, um, you know, Daniel was born with a heart defect where there was a good chance he wasn't even going to survive. So just having him at all with us was a, uh, a miracle in and of itself. And, you know, we had him for well, 19 years or so. And um, he had issues along the way. Uh, in fact, in his smash career early we were traveling a lot he was going out to things like show me your moves in a lot of places and then he had to stop because his heart worsened and he had to go on the transplant list uh the alabama trip i referenced earlier was one that he just i mean he would love to go on that trip with us but he literally couldn't because he had to stay within a certain radius of indianapolis in case the heart came in and then he would basically be overnight driven down for a month and a half in the hospital after open heart surgery and a heart transplant um, so that was kind of hanging over a lot of it. In fact, a lot of the work on Melee FC1, um, there was, uh, you know, the ideas were there from the start, but obviously a, a driving factor for me too was bringing as many people as possible to South Bend just because, you know, Daniel couldn't go anywhere. Um, he was joy. His laugh was absolutely one of the most infectious laughs you'll ever hear. He would get the whole room laughing. Um, there was... A recent video on the Alston channel that talked about the origins of, of sayings and it talked about the origins of the JV uh, being from Kish Cubed and, and Daniel and that's absolutely how I remember it and that's how I recounted it in a Reddit post a few years ago and uh, you know he he was a, a, a funny guy he wasn't afraid to call you out on stuff but he always did it in a lighthearted way and um, that was kind of the joke you know he's like <laughs> JV said it was like he killed he beat him with two stock and he just kind of laughed at him. And later he's like, I JV2 stocked. Like he just, he started using it as a phrase and it just kind of spread from there. And um, he was, he was a delight and we all miss him. Um, I always point out that in his last tournament, he went out on top and he didn't lose a round to anybody. He uh, blew up Dreffen, who was still a little bit of an uppercomer, but he was still, he was solid enough. Uh, Die Superfly, who was a solid like second tier player underneath. Ken and Isaiah, he was Dice Superfly, took a round from Ken, actually took one of the, he's one of the few people to take a set from Ken, um, outside kind of the top players. So he wiped him out, he wiped Eddie out, who was a beast at the time too, and took the whole tournament without uh, losing a round, and that was his last tournament. Um, he died uh, unexpectedly uh, after his heart, basically his heart transplant rejected. And um, yeah, just, man, I tell you what, it's, it's, it's weird being this far out from it. Um, you have those good memories. They never go away. Um, it's the same with the Smash community, right? A lot of these people I haven't seen in 15 years. Um, obviously, Daniel, I lived with for all of my life, and I had a closer relationship there. But you, you never always know when is your last day with somebody. And we certainly didn't know when he went down to Indianapolis for a, what was hopefully going to be a routine surgery, that that would be the last time we'd talk. Um, but, you know, you, those relationships endure even beyond 
death, even beyond, you know, separation. And that's why I said, yeah, and, and I'm an emotional guy. I don't pretend I'm not. I have a, I have a good, I have, I have a heart that's occasionally too big. I need to narrow it down. But, um, you know, you, you every, if you, when you allow people to make an impression on you, you just, that never goes away. And um, I, I miss Daniel, obviously. Um, the, the, you know, you don't think about it as much of time. But, um, you know, it, it was a big part of what made that initial run good. And it's still sad to me. And I mean, obviously, there's many, many things that I think, oh, it'd be nice to share with him. I, I, I do wish he had been at FC3. <laughs> that sounds stupid. That's not like number one on my list or anything like that. But like when it comes to Smash, like I just would have liked to see him play in that tournament because he was just killing it. He was so good. I just would have loved to see what he had done there. And, you know, maybe he would have. He had his ups and downs. He generally did well. He generally he had like fifth place or seventh place at FC1 and uh, gave Azen a good run. Uh, but, you know, he's he is a good dude. I don't, know what else, I don't know what else to say about it. I did find a video recently from Show Your Moves 1 of him after the tournament. I just like zoomed the camera and I'm like, why did you fail today? <laughs> just like go away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was that was a lot of fun. But uh, I did that to everybody in the crew. I just hunted them down. Why did you fail today? Uh, Jeff came back and won showing moves too. Uh, but uh, at the time, it was it was just kind of, that was how we were. You know, we just standard crew stuff, razzing each other. So nowhere else to go with that. Just uh, you know, he was loved. He was cherished. He had an impact on the Smash community that not a lot of people realize. And it's it's fun. Recently, I have so much appreciation for the people that have continued to kind of bring his name up in casual conversation uh, around the Smash community of, of the kinds of things that he did and the person that he was. So it's, you know, nothing that'll have a huge impact on people today, but every time somebody says JV stock, I have a, I at least have a good smile on the back of my head. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure, yes, uh, as well as to, you know, give those props to have it continually brought up and said, hey, this person had an impact on the Smash community. It's all, it's always so cool that somebody gets to contribute just a small piece to the overall canvas of Melee. That's how I like to think of it, that Kish Cubed is there. And I, I love the videos that Austin Melee makes where they try very hard to make sure that parts of history that may have started to fade away a little bit, that it comes back, it's put into video, it's, it's there, it stays on YouTube forever sort of a deal, and that we try to remember not only where we have been recently but where we came from and knowing that you have had a part of it and the ship of fools as, a, as an entire crew is really really cool and i wanted to also give a specific shout out to patty of austin Melee who gave me a lot of notes for this interview and is going to be very excited to hear this not just the shout out i mean the whole interview we'll love to hear everything that you and I have been talking about so far tonight prime they've been too nice to me i i they they they've they i i really appreciate everything that they do they've been too nice to me i got to i got to shout them out too and say man i just it's just fun you know it's fun it's so weird at 40 i just turned 40 and and to still have a connection to this community at you know at 40 <laughs> and still be occasionally hopping on slippy at 40 and you know just playing games with people it's just it's a cool place, and I hope people don't take it for granted because, you know, there's never a guarantee. And hopefully, in the in the future, that if you continue as you continue to 
have a little bit of a slippy run here and there. Maybe there's an event at some point that you can find yourself kind of warming up to entering. Maybe there's an event in the future that you consider running for yourself. And if that it's, that's a thing, we'd be happy to see that happen. That'd be very cool. And whatever it is, I, I just love that you can still have a relationship with Melee because it was so special. And hearing you talk about how you weren't necessarily ready to have it take a step back to take a step back from it, I should say, but that you still care very much about where it is, even if you're not necessarily like, you know, like having an active hand in, in of, of the reins of leading the community forward and that sort of thing. It's just really cool to hear that even for you, even for people that were involved actively in melee a long time ago and have quote unquote disappeared that's not actually true that you still care very much that's really really cool and yes i want to make sure that for those of the people that are listening where to find you on on twitter at the very least i don't know how many things you want to plug but also the Mega Man arena as well where to find that yeah, so uh, MegamanArena.com. I'll start with that. That's the easy place to go to to find all the uh, Mega Man Arena stuff and see where it is. I would I would plug it by saying that if you're looking for a casual, kind of fun, competitive game to play in downtime, or I'll even toss this out, if you're a TO looking to run a side event at your tournament, um, hit us up. We'd love to see some overlap there. Uh, it's a fun, casual fighter. It's technical. There's a lot of... Uh, there's there's certainly some room for skill, but the skill threshold is, of course, not even close to melee, which is we're still plumbing the depths of 20 years later. Um, but you know, like I said, fun casual fighter. Actually, the Frosty Faustings did pick it up for a random like a random game tournament, like, like last year or two years ago. That was really fun. We had no idea what was going to happen. We just somebody just sent us a clip. Uh, so you know, there's there's potential there if you're if you're a TO or if you're interested in running something or if you just want to join the community and hang out. Uh, by all means, we'd we'd love to have you. It's uh it's just kind of a really fun project and uh you know hard stop when you've got people that actually enjoy what you're doing and and keep downloading it for some reason. Uh, myself, <laughs> I'm a Kish underscore Prime at Twitter, but I don't I don't I'm not really interesting. I mean, you can follow me if you like. I don't really talk about much. I just chime in the melee conversations from time to time when I feel like somebody would be interested in what I have to say and usually that's not true and I still say it anyway so I'm an old man that rambles if you can't tell that by this point in the interview then you haven't been listening <laughs> and of course uh, hopefully for next April Fools when all the rest of the non-legal stages get added you can continue to say hey <laughs> you, for some of you who may not know <laughs> you think Mute City is bad just wait till yeah you get it that was really fun that was funny to read that tweet when uh, April Fools came around and all the those stages got added into Slippy, and you're like, you guys, you guys don't even know. <laughs> yeah, that was a great night. I played for like <laughs> three hours, and I had a blast. I killed people. I was destroying people on those stages, man. It was so good. <laughs> they had no idea what was going on, and I was just blowing them up left and right. So, yeah, yeah, good times. Melee is super fun. But, yes, thank you so much, Kish Prime, for joining me on Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Thanks, man. You're you're a cool guy, and I really appreciate your time. Why is it so quiet? Oh, right, transition. Kish Prime. It was so hard not to do that intermittently throughout the interview, <laughs> so I'm just getting it out now. One more, one more, one more. Kish Prime. All right, now I'm done. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Bottom of the Smash Mountain. Before we get going, because you probably see that there's a minute or two left on here, hopefully a minute or two and not 10 minutes, 
Oh, boy. Let's talk about how awesome Patty is. One more time, check out the description of this podcast episode, not only for Kish Prime's Twitter and Mega Man Arena, but also for the 10 crews that changed Melee. That's a great video, and a lot of the inspiration of the questions and notes and all that stuff came directly from Patty when I said, I might be getting Kish Prime on for an interview <laughs> and without me asking, that's all I said. I said, hey, just to let you know, first of all, thank you for the shout out on Twitter where you tagged a bunch of people, including Kish Prime. <laughs> uh, uh, that actually has generated an interview. And so thank you. And Patty goes, okay, sure. And also here's like a bunch of notes that I have for you for this interview for Kish Prime. Now go go forth, my son, and interview well. <laughs> not that, okay, those were not the exact words of Patty, but thank you so much to Patty for helping me out with this and being very nice in general and all the amazing content and everything that Alston Melee does. It helps to inspire me to continue to do what I'm doing here with the, well, it's not the, okay, with bottom of the smash mountain i wanted to say the podcast then i wanted to say the name of the podcast so when i said the and then i paused i was like wait a minute it's not the bottom of the smash mountain just so that everybody's clear it's just bottom of the smash mountain bsm pod if you want to shorten it although btsm is fine too it just i don't know i've always shortened it to bsm Alrighty, i think that's about all i have other than a very exciting event that y'all should be paying attention to on June 5th. We have a really cool Garden Gold Gordon. <sighs> it's late. Golden Guardians event that is being run on Saturday, June 5th at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. Twitch.tv forward slash Golden Guardians presenting the Octagon 2. Oh, doesn't it just give you the chills? And something that's super exciting is that there might be a match for this event, for the Octagon 2, that is held on the same CRT. Maybe the same monitor. The same setup. You know what I mean? It might actually be two competitors in the same room socially distanced or however they're going to solve that because I'm assuming that they're okay. They have to be both vaccinated and whatnot, but that is actually something that might happen. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but I've seen the tweets. I saw what Zane tweeted today. You should just go to Zane's Twitter to see. I think that you will be in for a lovely surprise. All of you listeners. All right, now I'm done. We just want to make sure that as we continue to build up towards Saturday, June 5th, that I do my part in plugging what is hopefully going to be a fantastic event of personal grudge matches, that kind of thing. Exhibition matches, basically. Obviously, there's not a tournament on the line, but there's some real implications here that, by the way, Monday morning, Marth, this is, these are, this is an article written once a week, usually on Mondays. This week it was Tuesday. That Edwin Budding wrote part of the Melee Stats Collective on their website. Just look up Melee Stats and you will find the information that you need. Where Edwin is more or less clearly stating for all of us Melee noobs, including myself, hey, 
you may think that there's nothing on the line, but there's actually quite a bit on the line. What if Ginger actually loses to Hungry Bucks? <laughs> Just consider that. <laughs> it continues to push on the idea that anyone who plays Hungry Box doesn't really have much to gain but a lot to lose <laughs> just because of how many quote-unquote bad losses Hungry Box has taken and it is true when you lose to someone like Harry Pogger it's not great to lose to a player like Harry Pogger but let's not let's not beat around the bush and say that that player doesn't deserve to get that W when it is presented when you're playing well when you're outplaying Hungry Box the other flip side is Hungrybox has not been playing as well as he ought to be in the online era, or he's not playing to the standards that we all have kind of grown accustomed to in the in-person pre-pandemic time, back when Hungrybox was clear or mostly clear number one ranked player in the world three years running, la di da di da So I can see that point as well where it's like, He's not the same player that he was, but the simple truth of the matter is, doesn't matter if some people view him as not as good of a player because most of the chat when Hungrybox wins versus just about any notable player, when Hungrybox wins, chat pops off. When Hungrybox loses, chat drops subscriptions. So Hungrybox is just in that sweet spot of just having enough people doubt him and then having enough people still hold him up to a very high level of play and performance. So it's interesting. Very interesting dynamic that we have going on right now. But Ginger, as Edwin Budding pointed out very accurately, does have rather a lot to lose by potentially losing against Hungrybox in the octagon too so that's just one match there are other matches and we will probably talk a little bit about it in advance of maybe i'll do a little preview just a little some something i have another podcast interview for this week that i have scheduled and i don't have a preview scheduled for the octagon too but maybe i'll sneak somebody in on the end of the last podcast for the week before saturday maybe i'll do that and let me know if you want to be part of the action yourself if you're still listening oh no i went past a couple of minutes again didn't i yes i did okay thank you all so much for listening we'll catch you on the next episode take it easy <laughs>